Yesterday morning, we were all invited to say in just a few words, express our aspiration for being here. I guess you remember this moment. And it was very inspiring to hear all the different expressions of aspiration that arose in the room. Each of us has come here because we have a sense of aspiration that may be very clear to some of us and not so clear to others. But somehow that is what brings us to a path, to really undertake a journey where we begin to understand the workings of the mind, the opening of the heart. And we may have expressed it in very different ways, and yet I had a very felt sense of a similar expression that we all yearn to experience ourselves a little closer, that we wish to experience a life that is closer to one of peace, that we feel more whole, or what was expressed is that we wish to know ourselves better. All these different expressions, in one way or another, reveal a truth, and that truth is universal. It is the truth based on our own understanding, not on some belief that depends on outer conditions or anything outside of ourselves. And I think that today you really sense the coming inward, really emphasizing this closeness to yourself, This is a story. A Zen master was invited to a great Catholic monastery to give instruction in Zen practice. He exhorted the monks there to meditate and try to solve their koan, or Zen question, with great energy and zeal. He told them that if they could practice with full-hearted effort, true understanding would come to them. One old monk raised his hand. Master, he said, Our way of prayer is different than this. We have been meditating and praying in the simplest fashion without effort, waiting instead to be illuminated by the grace of God. In Zen, is there anything like this illuminating grace that comes to one uninvited? He asked. And the Zen master looked back and he laughed. And he said, well, in Zen... We believe that God has already done his chair. (laughs) And it's really quite valuable to remember that we can relate to that aspiration during our stay here, to have a sense of really deeply know that this aspiration can change over the days, that it's not fixed in any way. As clarity and wisdom, understanding grow, there can be a change in the direction that we have set for ourselves. I remember that my initial aspiration when I began practice years ago was to end suffering. Just like the Buddha, I have had a path where I was really noticing suffering growing up in Africa. It was just so palpable that everything around me was manifestation of dukkha, of suffering in one way or another. And so since a very little girl at a very young age, I remember setting this aspiration for myself to end suffering, my own and that of the world. Great aspiration when you're a child. And when I began practice, it was during a month of retreat. And as the days were going by, I really had to acknowledge that not only was suffering not diminishing during the practice, during that month of retreat, but in reality, it was increasing. As I was getting closer to myself, there was less distance. And one day, I questioned what had gone wrong. And I realized that absolutely nothing had gone wrong. 
it was just quite the opposite. As I was meeting my suffering, a greater sense of freedom arose, and that released the sense of trust. To be able to really allow the suffering to be the aspiration itself. And so, when we have this sense of understanding, (laughs) suffering may be the cause, the proximate cause, for a greater faith. It releases our faith or our trust. Now, it's important that we don't fix a goal whatever the duration of the time that we're spending here, that the goal is not what it's about. We may accomplish some understanding, but that is not realistic if we place an aspiration where the goal is to really understand, not from the place of living the practice, but from setting something we want to achieve. And often that's what is happening. There's such wanting that we miss the moment, and therefore then the aspiration is kind of lost. So it's living the process, a very dynamic, endless opening, opening to the truth of now that will reveal the greatest understanding And what it means is that we move, we shift from that position of knowing what we believe to maybe not knowing. And in that phase of not knowing, there is the possibility of wisdom to emerge. What really manifests then is that there's a greater sense of possibility. When there's the sense of trust that we tend toward something greater, greater than ourselves maybe. And by that, I don't mean something outer, in outer space. But by that, I really mean what greater than what we think we're able to do, greater than what we think we're able to achieve. To not hold a belief in our capacity is exactly the end of limitation. Not holding any belief enables us to turn towards the mystery, towards the unknown. And in a way, we know very clearly that this is what is happening in the present moment. And a lot of the practice is just revealing this space of the truth of now and how much we hide ourselves from this truth. And the learning process is one of deepening this truth of the unknown. It's an attitude of mind, of heart, that requires one quality, which you've guessed probably I'll be speaking about tonight, and that is the quality of faith, of trust, of confidence. (coughs) I remember when I began on this path, I started in the Tibetan tradition and gave myself a lot of time for practice. would go to Asia then, in the early 80s, and was following teachings from a Tibetan master who is now dead. My teacher was then Dilgo Kense Rinpoche, and every year he would give us teachings. And it was very inspiring to receive teachings from him because he was definitely a wonderful, great master. But one morning, just after four or five days of teaching, he suddenly told us that this would be the end 
of receiving the teachings that year because he was called by the Dalai Lama in Dharamsala and this was a master that was giving the Dzogchen teachings to the Dalai Lama. So the whole sense of purpose had suddenly vanished. It would just be like, you know, if all of us five would be leaving this hall (laughs) in a few days saying, okay, you're on your own. Here it is. (laughs) You know, what would you think? (laughs) It really requires such a determination and a kind of true faith to continue the path. Do I really need this setup, this form? But what happened was extraordinary because that very same evening, we went back, my husband and I, to the place where we were living in, and there was a note from Joseph <laughs> saying, there's a, an extraordinary master from Burma who is here for a month and who is going to give a retreat, offer a retreat, Saido Pandita, that you probably have heard of. And there's still places on that retreat, and if you wish, you, you can join This was my first meeting with Joseph. (laughs) I had only done a weekend of vipassana practice, so had completely mixed feelings, being really linked to the Tibetan tradition, and was not really knowing what I was exposing myself towards. And yet, it turned out to be the most difficult retreat in Nepal, the very first one-month meditation retreat, The conditions were absolutely awful. Everybody got sick because there was lack of hygiene in the kitchen. I got very, very sick. There was a tremendous amount of noise. You don't know how lucky you are to have this set up. (laughs) Um, And yet, it really required such a leap of determination to remain stable to have this sense of aspiration of seeking the truth. And the first interview that I had with Saido Pandita, he saw me a little bit shaky and said, of course, what are you doing here? (laughs) What brings you from so far away? And I'll always remember this question he had. And I said... I wish to end suffering in myself. This is really my great, deepest aspiration. And his reply was very direct, straightforward. You know, this is a master that was not (laughs) limited by um, the sake of wanting the students to be comfortable, you can say. And yet, His waking up call was just so impressive that one would just follow the way that he had to guide us. And so his words to my deep wish, deep yearning, is if you want to end your suffering, you must be willing to give everything away. (laughs) In my early 20s, I thought, whoa, (laughs) I'm not quite ready for this. (laughs) But then the next part of the phrase must, you must be willing to die for the Dhamma. And of course, this was an image that he used, but it was a very powerful image for me. That meant nothing else than don't indulge while you're here. This is so precious time. Don't indulge in the habitual tendencies of greed, hatred, and delusion. Now, as teachers here in the West, we have a very different way of expressing ourselves to support your presence, to support your practice. We won't say you need to die for the Dhamma. Yet we do emphasize this need for commitment, for great renunciation, because... It really means that this is the way that we will enable us and ourselves to really benefit from this time together. 
and it is precious time. The wake-up call was so strong in that first retreat that it has given me the spark of faith to walk the path up to this day. And it can be really something that is in a Denver, an endeavor to meet whatever it is that is showing up. What it really means is doing the best we can. So what it meant, really, when I reflect back over the years, is that we call forth the qualities, the good qualities, the paramis that Joseph mentioned last night to come to the surface. And these qualities are present within us. It's not that they're not present, but instead of lingering in the negative forces, we really call forth those qualities that lie within us, that will give us support to trust the moment. The qualities of wholesome desire, to see the truth of strong determination, or yearning to wish to wake up, to end the suffering, the sense of great energy that allows us to really make the effort to keep going, even when it's difficult quality of equanimity, of loving kindness, of opening that heart of kindness towards ourself, of patience, perseverance, and many other qualities that, of course, you'll hear about over the days. All these different qualities, in a way, support our initial sense of faith. And then the need for faith just comes up. As one of my teachers would always say, it's a question of really living the path. Living the path in this moment rather than wanting to achieve a goal. Living this path means just being in this present moment. And so different kinds of faith will aspire and inspire us on the path. The first of these, of course, is the faith in the trust, in the teachings, in the Dhamma itself. You might not know what exactly the Dhamma comprises. And of course, over the days here, we have a greater sense of what this sense means, what It is leading towards. It's said that the Dhamma is good at the beginning, good at the middle, and good in the end. What is good is available to us. And so it's helpful if we can open our heart. And maybe at first it will be something that we'll know with a blind faith. And yet, by the progression of our meeting ourselves on the path, we'll ask ourselves the appropriate questions. We'll really relate in a way that will come closer to the truth. And what Miyoshin said this morning about interest, and Joseph too, that curiosity, that real investigation of heart and mind, to know just what is happening. So the faith in the Dhamma is definitely one that we can place our heart upon. Another trust or faith is to place our trust in our own teachers. To take to heart the advice of a teacher is not always easy. 
I know that for myself, I have often tried to justify through reasoning not to follow an advice of a teacher and to have a sense of regret at times for losing time, losing energy. Because all of the advices that I have received really strongly emphasized wisdom and compassion towards myself. And so, of course, if there are ways that you feel it's not helpful, then you can leave that on the side. But mostly, what prevents us from taking in an advice that really is helpful towards seeing the truth? So relying on the advice of our teachers really is a leap of faith. And you'll get to know your teachers if you don't know them already. A sense of trust that will also enable a confidence in being able to reveal the truth, to say just what is, rather than what we would like (laughs) to be happening. In this Nepal retreat, I remember having had such a hard time to relate to Saido, not knowing exactly what was asked of me, that even practicing very diligently, it seemed that it was never enough. There was a sense of real unworthiness that was coming up. And yet, such a learning in that moment of dread (laughs) when I would have an interview. And yet, being able to stay firm and just say what was happening. And at times it did reveal an unsatisfactoriness in the response that I was giving. And was it not the truth that I needed to hear? One day I was really living uh, an anxiety attack, really a panic attack, because there was not much of a reference and not much of a support. We talk about a container here of real support, which I hope, in a way, gives you the sense of being able to trust that an opening is possible. So in a moment of panic attack, I totally lost it and ended up in the quarters of the Sayado at a totally inappropriate time, things that you want, don't want to do <laughs> at night, and rushing in in tears because I needed help and I wasn't really noticing what was happening. No teacher assistant, no night contact, (laughs) nothing of that kind, I can tell you. (laughs) And so the attendant, the monk that was at the door, was seeing me rushing in and said, no, it's not a time for you to come in. (laughs) And Saito was not far away, and he called. And he said, no, let her in. And... I was asked, what is happening? And of course, through my tears, and I was crying more than I could express my words. And the only thing that was said to me is, good cry, please continue. (laughs) (laughs) This is the truth. Well, you know, it's extraordinary because what it reveals is that one can rely on oneself. 
And that's exactly what gives us the greatest strength, the greatest determination of, okay, am I really alone in this path? (laughs) We're not. Yet there are circumstances where you wonder. And luckily, I had the strength (laughs) to be able to hear just, you know, good cry. But the monk, seeing that I was still totally unsettled, and who was also the translator, just added one phrase that changed everything. He said, you have fear. Take the lap of the Buddha as a refuge. Just take the lap of the Buddha as a refuge. Now you have to know that these are Saido's or monks, and of course there isn't the psychological or um, in a way cultural psychological way that we express and that we have an interchange. And so having faith in that Buddha, I thought, take the lap. I went back, and of course it was very late at night, went into the empty Dharma hall, and there was a very big Buddha Rupa, Buddha statue. Burma is filled with them. Thank goodness, this is really where you can get a sense of support. And it didn't occur to me right at first, but I just sat in the Dharma Hall alone. And it was amazing to notice the impact on my emotional state, to be able to really receive from that statue, from that rupa, the support that I needed that enabled me to open the heart and to say, what is happening is just okay. Sometimes we need to take heart. This is a poem by Jennifer Edwards. But also take comfort, healing, rest, and love. Leave sorrow amongst the rocks and woods who most of the time are far stronger, better able to handle such loads. Take courage, but also take honesty, courtesy, empathy, and patience. Leave doubt amidst the deep ocean waters. Watch it sink there until you cannot cling to it any longer. Take faith, but live. Leave with an open mind, an open hand, open arms. Take whatever you need to make it through. Leave what keeps you from going on. Tears only go so far. Fear only holds so long. Though your feet may bleed and your hands tremble, take deep compassion for your own suffering. Take deep compassion for the suffering of another and journey on. This is really the courage that is needed to reveal the opening of the heart and all the difficulties that are lying deep in us all. But it's not pushing in any way. It's really allowing ourselves to be touched by what is arising and not hide away. This is the journey. So faith holds an element of courage. Having a courageous heart gives us the strength. A state of reverence to the Buddha really allowed me to have reverence to my own essence. And that's exactly what is revealed 
that Buddha nature, that essence, that we are so deeply yearning to meet, is exactly what presents itself when we stop running away. So we surrender to the truth in taking refuge in the teachings, in the teacher, in the sangha, in the community, in all of those who walk the path with us. And most of all, the preciousness to have faith in our own capacity, our own ability, our own courage to walk this path towards awakening. Faith causes steadfastness to emerge. There's definitely a greater sense of determination which comes forth when we understand that it's by opening that we heal. When we live on the surface, there's a natural closing down. And yet we acknowledge finally what is good for us, what is beneficial. And what is beneficial is sometimes to meet our fear, our doubt, our questioning, to the pace that we are able to. It's said that faith or confidence overcomes doubt and fear. Of course, we'll be talking much more about the hindrances that come up for us all. You know, they're also called the afflictive emotions. And it's true that they tend to color the present moment. One of the biggest hindrances is doubt when it's not seen for what it is. Because when doubt comes in, and it may be that you had some doubts, not open questions, but doubts today about what you're doing here, about the instructions, about the way to practice, about your own capacity, whatever the doubt was. When doubt is present, we often go into the thinking mind. We try to figure it out. We try to not let doubt just reveal itself, but we do try to be clever. (laughs) How can I know better than just meeting doubt? And at least it has been my experience that the more we think about it, in a way, the less we're able to see clearly. The thinking mind has such a capacity to spin and to not reveal true understanding. So it's confusing. And not only is it confusing, but it brings more pain. We get tied into the knots of the thinking mind. So wisdom that is spoken of here is not coming from reasoning or the intellectual knowledge. I'm trying to sort out, and we'll see that happening. We'll see this over and over and over again, that we'll use the thinking mind to try to solve our problems. And so we open to allow doubt to be known just as doubt. And again, it is this trust, this faith, to open to this momentary experience in this very moment that is enabling us 
to be seeing what is. Seeing the reality and understand it. What really is happening then is that instead of being at a distance with experience, we come really close to experience. There's an existential understanding that doesn't come from doing anything. How much we try to do thinking that by doing, by achieving, doing the practice, we are really, in a way, hindering our own progress. And so the less interference, the less manipulation, you can say, more, greater is the intuitive knowledge. And it's exquisite at time to live this process of deepening the trust to just allow what is to be known. That's the capacity of the heart and mind to stay open, to trust, and to trust the unknown. All the habits, all the tendencies of the mind to manipulate, to interfere, to want to do something, instead of just receiving, comes from wanting to run away from the unknown. It's scary. How can we live more willingly in that space of the unknown? Well, very easily. Already you have the secret. (laughs) This morning we have received the instruction of being receptive, really receptive, receiving sound, receiving experience. That is enabling us a sense of moving away from controlling, manipulating, from self-referencing me and my meditation. Therefore, the process doesn't need as much as we think. The path is quite simple. Awareness itself is what we trust in, rather than trust the way that we have to do something to reach a destination, we are not getting caught into the known, and the truth just reveals itself. In the Buddhist teachings, the Pali word for faith is sada, S-A-D-D-H-A, if you want to write it down. I'm noticing that people are taking notes. And it means different things. It really means very deep confidence, deep conviction in the process of meditation practice itself. It's basically this confidence in ourselves when we're in the process of a meditation retreat, intense like this one. We rely on a path that is beneficial for us. We can undertake it without hesitation because whatever we'll meet, this is exactly what will reveal the truth. So we can't go wrong. The hindrances, when they're seen for what they are, are stepping stones to our understanding. Everything is part of the practice. Everything is enabling us to liberate the mind and heart. 
So there's nothing to get rid of and nothing to get. When we are present in this way, we may ask ourselves, what have I come for? What is actually happening right now? What is happening right now? Rather than the question, how can I get rid of this? What can I do to change this situation? Just staying present. Being able to truly see, clearly see the nature of experience as it is. And then wisdom is present. Wisdom is liberating. In my own practice, there have been so many moments of deep, deep, hardship, difficulty, even despair. So many moments of despair where you think it's going to be the end and you want to roll up the mat and <laughs> you want to leave. Even on day one, you might want you know, to have that kind of thought of saying, oh, how am I going to be able to do this? And have this sense of, oh, so many days. And that is happening when we don't, have this sense of faith, of trust, that what is present is closing us down, shutting off ourselves from who we are. And truly, when this is happening, it's difficult. This is exactly when you need to recall the moment when you've had faith. In retrospect, You remember a moment when you've had the sense of trust. Or you call forth the memory of a teacher or the Buddha or the Dhamma. Really relying on something that will give you support. Sharon Salzbeck, you probably know, has written a book on faith. And she says that it's despair that she feels is the opposite force of faith. In the text, we speak of doubt as being the opposite force of faith. Because she says when despair hits in, it really is the moment when we need to recall and call forth our deepest sense of trust that we need to have the humility to accept what is happening and that we are able then to surrender to just that momentary experience of difficulty, of hardship. What I've seen for myself is when there's despair added to that, Deep pain is the feeling of shame or blame. And when we are relating to that shame or blame, it really feels real. It really then feels like, this is me. And it's not at all the passing state. It's not just the nature of the mind, you know, manifesting a state which is temporary and that will change. And so we need to then learn how to work with emotions. And this, of course, will be talked about. Knowing that, again, whatever it is that we are meeting, there's a process of purification. We're bound to meet the difficulties because we're really facing the whole, the entire 
mind and body. And to stay in balance requires this process that will lead to trust that everything is okay. Absolutely everything that we're meeting is perfectly okay. Okay because the truth is that nothing is permanent. Sharon says in her book that the literal translation for sada is to place one's heart upon. And I think that is the most beautiful rendering of that quality of sada. To give ourselves over to, to surrender to the truth will enable then a true conviction that yes, this is liberating. And we can think of the Bodhisattva's path to awakening, you know, the Buddha-to-be, who lived for so many years away from all form of unpleasantness because everything was done for him not to see the unpleasant. His father, the king, did not want him to meet the reality of life. And every time, can you imagine, he would have different palaces. And every time he would come out of his palaces, the servants would be given the duty to clean out the streets so that he would not see any type of suffering. But, as you know, on one occasion, on his own initiative, he came out unexpectedly. And it said that he met the four heavenly messengers. An old person, a sick man, a dead body or a corpse, and a monk. And this changed his whole life perspective. And he asked, he couldn't believe it, he asked the sheridor, is this the predicament of every human being? Is this what is happening? to all human beings, to get old, to be sick, to die? And sure enough, the response was, yes, this is. And this was enough for the Bodhisattva to really awaken the sense of spiritual urgency, to walk the path to full awakening. And not only did he walk it himself, never was he discouraged when faced with difficulties, but he was moved to alleviate the suffering of all beings by offering the teachings. To this day, at least to my own heart, it's an immense source of inspiration that this was just a human being like us, you know? No deva, just in the same condition, same condition of having a body that hurt, it said. It's not that there was anything different. And yet, this calling for him was so deep that he walked the path to realize full liberation. And then he offered this one word, ehipasiko, come and see for yourself. Make of yourself a light, enabling our own possibility, our own yearning to awakening a possibility, a deep search. And we have the great fortune here, us entering retreat, six weeks, three months, to be able to live that from morning to evening, to really see 
so deeply within ourself, understanding what causes suffering in ourself, how to liberate the mind, the heart, the body from that suffering. And even if we think that at times we can't do it anymore, that we're done, just remember your aspiration. Just remember why you came. Often in the midst of the work, of the process, we forget the aspiration. And we need a recalling of that inspiration. And in those moments, talking to a teacher is extremely valuable to really be truthful. I know that for myself, when I've had hard times, I would not always express the difficulties, wanting to manifest my best side. (laughs) And yet, it was just so important to really be humble and sincere in my devotion to seeing the truth and to receive help All of my teachers have said, when I have expressed difficulty, have said, it's okay. If you come a little closer to really meeting what is present, you'll see for yourself that it's okay. What causes a greater suffering And this tendency of ours is completely natural, is to move away from the suffering, to create a distance from the pain that we're feeling. And that is not wanting to feel what is happening. And therefore that very distance is just the pain of reactivity. And it's that pain that makes us feel fragmented, disconnected. And it's a process. It's really a process that we will see for ourselves when we stay very close to the present moment. Then the truth is revealed. What is true is that in the reality In the wisdom, there is no fragmentation, no separation. And that taste of freedom, when it happens, even glimpses, is what keeps us going. It's again that force, that strength of heart that enables us to meet those moments when we have fear, when we have deep pain, when we feel inadequate, or when we compare ourselves to others. We will have cycles, and this has been said. There are moments when everything is beautiful, we want to stay here for the next 10 years, it couldn't be better, and there's no way that we want to leave retreat. And it's wonderful that these moments are happening. We open, we wake up, we receive those moments when all the beauties of our lives, all the beautiful aspects of the spiritual journey manifest. And we have moments when it's going to be more difficult. Every bit of it is part of the practice. As the part of the poem that was offered last night, I knew myself completely, no part left out. 
There's absolutely no mistake about what is unfolding. And it's such a relief when we truly trust that there's no mistake. Everything is born and everything dies out of causes and conditions. And then in that light, we don't need to hide away from what is unpleasant. We're just like the bodhisattva that ventures beyond the walls of the palace. We are here in the same way invited to venture beyond the walls of the habitual tendencies. And it's incredibly easy to think that we are safer if we stay within the walls. And the tendency is to stay in confinement, in the known. Why is that? Even if it is revealing suffering and pain, it's incredible, at least in my own practice, how much I've seen and how often I've seen the tendency to stay within the habitual confinement. And that is just because it's familiar. And even if it's painful, what is familiar seems to feel safe. So whether it's fear, whether it's the obsessive mind, whether we see doubt over and over again, however the afflictive emotions are happening, we are having the willingness to explore a new field, one that we don't know. And so it is faith that inspires that willingness to move beyond the known, the capacity to question the needs for the habit to be in place. sense of direction that is born out of interest, that enables us to stay awake and to not waver. Surrendering with humbleness to the unknown. A spiritual teacher, Trungpa, said, spiritual awakening is facing one insult after another. And it's so humbling. And for us all, the path, you know, what we see is not always something that we want to look at. And yet, there's such a purifying process. It doesn't belong to us. It's not personal. So remembering that just mindfulness and wisdom within the process of meditation will reveal aspects of ourselves that we don't like. And yet it's okay. We don't need to hide away. Within that process of meditation, it's really important to allow everything to come to the surface. That is the way that we will reveal great liberation. So an inner calling is brought, brought us here. For sure, an inner calling that is accompanied by faith, whether we know it or not. Many other wholesome qualities of mind and heart will also give us the direction towards enabling that aspiration that we have to flourish. May we allow the natural openness of the heart to support this yearning in this journey to awakening, in this journey to freedom. And I'd like to close with the first words the Buddha expressed as a teacher. 
says, opened are the gates of the deathless. Opened are the gates of immortality. You that have ears to hear, release your faith. Release your faith. Walk with your faith as a nourishment. Let's sit for just a second. Thank <laughs> you. 